as we start Galatians, I wanted to uh, share a, a quick story that I remember from when I was a child. I don't remember how old I was exactly, probably upper elementary school. Uh, and I was doing what uh, kids often do. I was uh, plopped down in the middle of our living room uh, watching television. And the way I happened to be posture-wise in watching television, I don't even remember what show it was, but I do remember I was on my belly, like laying on my stomach facing the television, kind of oblivious to all that was going on in the room. And uh, I, my sister, I have a sister uh, who is about five years younger than me, so she must have been very little at the time, maybe three years old, four years old, something like that. Uh, as many little siblings like to do, at least in our household even today, uh, she liked to sometimes come and sit on us when we were laying on the floor. She thought we would look like a comfortable seat. And so she came and sat on my back while I'm watching TV. I'm zoned in, uh, watching the television. I'm undistracted. I'm paying attention to whatever's going on there. Uh, I feel on my back what I think is my sister starting to like tickle my back, like just these little kind of gentle scratches on my back. I'm still focused. I'm watching whatever that cartoon or thing was. I'm not uh, distracted, undeterred uh, by whatever she's doing on my back. I'm not thinking anything of it. But, thank God, my mom walked into the room. Because when my mom comes around the corner into our living room, she kind of has a freak out moment. And you'll know why in just a moment. But she, like, rushes over. Uh, she, uh, like, grabs at my sister and grabs at her arm and yanks it back. And now I'm paying attention because my mom has rushed over. I, I, can't, I don't remember exactly how this happened, but I remember turning and looking. And what I found out very quickly was that those had not been little three or four year old fingernails that I was feeling on my back. It was, my mom had grabbed a butcher knife from my sister's hand. I'm not kidding, like one of those big butcher knives. I still have no idea how this happened. I verified this with my family that it wasn't just some make-believe memory to me. Uh, but she had, my little sister, had a butcher knife and was like rubbing it on my back. My sister is wonderful. If you ever meet her, you don't need to be scared of her or anything like that. Uh, but she had been scratching my back with the tip of a butcher knife. And thank God my mom walked in. Because uh, I was oblivious. My sister didn't realize what she was doing. But my mom, in that moment, she didn't like patiently walk over and be like, Megan, like, doing like let's let's talk about this she took action fast and direct and firm aggressive probably even towards my sister to stop what could have potentially happened she knew the danger that I was in and that my sister was putting me in and so it cut through a lot of the typical nice pleasantries that a mom may have with her kids and I, I mentioned that story because I wanted to know this as we start the book of Galatians this morning we know from human experience that this can happen where danger necessitates direction. Like when somebody is in danger, when something really bad is about to potentially happen to them, it, it leads us to be very direct. It leads us to be very firm sometimes with a person in ways we normally would not be because we do not want to mess around with this. We don't want to see what's going to unfold. We don't want bad things to happen to these people. And as Paul started writing this letter to the churches of Galatia, we see that there was a danger at play. There was some danger that these churches were in that they didn't even realize. And Paul, right from the get-go, he is very, very direct with these people. He's very, like more than he normally is. We'll see, he's very direct, very blunt. He's even somewhat aggressive towards them as he goes on through this letter we'll see over the next couple months. But it's because he knows there's danger. 
because he knows that they're, he's not just seeking to be mean or some crotchety person. He, is, he knows that they are in danger and he's direct. He's firm. He's, he's very uh, confident as he comes with them and very bold as he comes to them. And so this morning, what we're going to attempt to do as we look through these first 10 verses, and then we'll pick up with verse 11 and following next Sunday, is I want us to see what was that danger. Why did he even write this? What was going on amongst these churches that made him be so blunt, so direct, so uh, firm with these churches? We're going to see why he wrote this letter, and then I want to talk for at least for a few minutes of why we chose this letter. Why did we think that this might be healthy and good for us to go through as a church in these weeks ahead? So I, I first want to tackle that, uh, that first question as we look at these first 10 verses of why did Paul write this? What, what was going on? Why, what took place? What was the danger that they were in that, that precipitated the writing of this letter that we now get to read a couple thousand years later? So a couple things I'll note real quick, just so you know basic basics of what this letter even is. You see the very first word of this letter, if you have your scriptures open, tells us who wrote it. I already mentioned it, but it was a, a man by the name of Paul. He was uh, an apostle, you see, very quickly as well. That's how he often starts his letters that he would write to people or to churches. He, he names himself and identifies himself as an apostle. All an apostle means is an apostle was someone that the resurrected Jesus, after he'd been crucified, buried, raised from the dead, the resurrected Jesus visually appeared, came and talked to certain specific men uh, in the early days of, of the church, and he gave them a responsibility. He gave them a commission to go and represent him amongst the world, to go and tell what he called the gospel, to tell the good news of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection, and of his offer of forgiveness. And so Jesus himself sent out these men who he called apostles, and Paul was one of them. Uh, and so he wants them to know that right from the get-go, remind them, I'm an apostle. I'm not just some man telling you my opinion. I am one that Jesus set apart. I'm one that he sent out with this message that you need to hear. So we see that he is an apostle. Uh, you even see him reference the resurrection of Jesus in verse 1. He says he's an apostle uh, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so then you see in the end of verse 2, you see who he's writing to. He's writing to this group of people he calls the Churches of Galatia. And so this is unusual. Most of Paul's letters were written either to an individual or to a single church. Not that he didn't think they would get passed around or passed down to us in time. But this letter from the beginning was written to multiple churches. It was written to, to a handful of them at least, if not more. We don't know exactly. But if you're curious to learn who some of these churches are, I, I won't give you all that now. But if you go back and read the book of Acts, uh, this story of the early church and how churches kept getting started and spreading. The churches he's writing this letter to are probably the ones that are mentioned in Acts 13 and 14. Uh, that would have been in this area, this region called Galatia, and towns that have names that seem funny to us, like Pisidian Antioch, and uh, Iconium, and Lystra, and Derbe. And Paul had helped start these churches. These are not strangers to him that he's writing. He had helped start these churches. He's the one with others who'd gone to these cities, told them about Jesus, saw them be transformed, saw people be baptized like we've done today, saw churches start to form. He loved these people. Like you see that in verse 3, he still has this affection for them in some sense. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he, he loves these people. He has a deep desire uh, to see them uh, grow in the Lord, to see them be obedient 
for God. But what you see that's going to set the stage for how he starts to be aggressive here is you see in verses 4 and 5 that more than he loved these churches, more than he loved the people, the men, women, boys, and girls who are part of these churches, he loved God. And more than he wanted the Galatian people to be happy and feel fulfilled and, and comfortable and think, he wanted God to be honored. He wanted God to receive glory. He wanted him to be revered and respected how he was supposed to be, to, to be obeyed, to be loved. And when he senses that anything is coming against that, when anything is taking away from the glory of God, taking away from the respect of God, uh, he cuts to the chase and says, I love you guys, but I love him more. And when I see you going away from him, I see you disregarding things. He says, you better believe I'm going to come right at you. I'm going to be direct with you. I'm going to be firm with you while you do this. And so what you see, I, I put the answer of why he wrote this letter. Now that we get down to verse 6 through 10. I would put this under two headings. The first one, the first reason now that he, I think, actually takes time to write this letter uh, to these people, the first heading would be that the gospel was being distorted. That's how I would say, and I think how Paul would say it, that the gospel was being distorted. You get a hint of this if you look at verse 7, if you, if you put your eyes on there. He, he's talking to these churches, to this group of churches, and he indicates even in the beginning of this letter, he says there are some who trouble you and want to, and here's that language, distort the gospel of Christ. And so we'll see this as we go through this letter, that there, amongst these churches, there seem to be these outsiders. We don't know where they're from. We don't know exactly who they are, but we can piece some things together, that they were coming into these churches, and they were starting to, he says, to trouble them, start to make them feel confused and unsettled, like, what are we supposed to do? And the, the thing that was making them confused was that he says they were distorting the gospel of Christ, that they were, they were confusing it, they were, like, modifying it a little bit, they were adding some things to it, and while they did, it was confusing these people. They had heard something from Paul, and now all of a sudden these other teachers are going to come in and tell them something that's slightly different, uh, that may feel like it's not that big of a deal, but in Paul's mind, is going to be an enormous deal. And it's important to know that he says that they are distorting the gospel of Christ. They weren't just chucking it. They weren't just uh, saying that everything Paul said to you is nonsense, churches of Galatia. They, they thought that most of it was probably true and accurate, but there were things that they wanted, they thought they needed to clarify. Things they thought they needed to kind of add to what Paul said to fill it out, to complete it. And you could imagine how confusing this would be for the Galatians because these teachers that came in, that Paul's going to be very bold with as this letter goes on and say some things you might not even know are in the Bible, uh, he's going to be very aggressive towards these teachers. These teachers, if this may be hard to imagine, they seem to have had a high regard for Jesus. They seem to believe that he really had been crucified, that he really had been buried, that he really had been raised from the dead, that he really was the Messiah, the, the Messiah that God's people had waited for for thousands of years. They believed that. They agreed with that. They, they, they acknowledged that. But the problem, the, the distortion that started to come in was that they started to tell these people in Galatia, which, side note, remember the people in Galatia would not be Jewish people. They wouldn't have a background with Old Testament and all these laws and practices and holidays and rituals and things that Jewish people did. 
What these teachers were telling these people then, these non-Jews, these Gentiles, was they said, everything that Paul said to you were pretty much all that was true, but one thing he didn't tell you was that if you want to be part of the people of God, if you want to be seen by God as holy and righteous, you need to place your faith in Jesus, yes, but you also need to come underneath the Old Testament law like we've done. Because God gave that to us. God revealed that to us. God gave us those rules. God gave us those holidays. God gave us those things that he called us to do. So if you really, Paul didn't tell you this, guys, but if you really want to be part of the people of God, you've got to come underneath the law. You've got to start back at the beginning, come underneath the law, and that's how you will be fully received by God and be part of his people. That's how you'll be viewed by God as holy. And they, these teachers probably thought they were helping these people. I, I don't think they were trying to trick them. I don't think that they thought that they were teaching some horrible thing. I think they genuinely thought they were trying to help them. They thought Paul had left some of that out, uh, that he was maybe just trying to, to be more palatable to these Galatians and not wanting to tell them they needed to, to really become like Jews. And so they thought Paul had left that out, but we're courageous enough, Galatians, to tell you, you've got to do that. Like, you've got to come underneath this law. But they are telling these people, these teachers are telling the people in the churches of Galatia, essentially, you, yes, you need Jesus, but you also need something else. You need Jesus plus in order to be righteous. You need Jesus' work plus something else in order to be viewed by God as holy, to be forgiven by him received by him, to be part of his people. You need Jesus plus. They weren't taking down Jesus. They were keeping him up and saying, you need something else as well. You need to come under the law of God that he gave us in the Old Testament. That's how you'll be established with God and be viewed by God as righteous. And that may seem like a small deal to people. It probably seemed like a little minor tweak uh, to the people of Galatia and to these teachers. But to Paul, it is not minor at all. When he starts to hear that these people have come into these churches, he, I bet he picked up the pen or whatever he wrote with back then as quick as he could and says, I have got to talk to them. Like, this cannot happen. That these people start to believe this, that they start to buy into this Jesus plus nonsense that these teachers are saying. They need Jesus and nothing else. Jesus and what he did for them is what will make them righteous, what will make them acceptable to God, not Jesus plus. And so he... I bet, immediately starts to write these people and say, no, like, do not buy into the distortion. Don't give in to the belief into what these people are saying to you. And he says in verse 7, he he indicates in verse 6 and 7, he says you're turning to a different gospel, but at the start of verse 7 he says, not that there is another. Like, he's wanting them to know, look, there's not these different gospels, these different things that are equally good and, like, I tell you, you can be righteous through Jesus, but they kind of tack on some stuff, and they're kind of like just cousins with each other, but they're both good. He's saying there is one gospel. There's one way to be right with God that he told to us, that he told to me, that I told to you. And if anybody tells you anything different, he says, let them be accursed. Did you see that? Did you hear it in what Mike read? Did you see it in verses 8 and 9? He's saying, look, if I tell you something, If an angel somehow comes from heaven and tells you something different, uh, a way to be righteous other than Jesus and faith in him, let me be accursed. Let that angel be accursed. And then in verse 9, 
lest they think that, well, if somebody else tells us, it's okay. He says, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one that you heard at the beginning, let them be accursed. Nobody better tell you that you can be righteous before God through any other means but faith in Jesus Christ. He says, if anybody tells you that, I don't care how nice they are, how how much they think they're handling the word of God right, and they think they're teaching you the right way of God from the Old Testament, they are wrong. Like, do not believe this distorted gospel that they are teaching you. You are never saved. You are never made righteous by Christ plus anything. People of Galatia, people in this room, if you are ever going to be viewed as righteous by God, it is through faith in Christ alone. It is not by placing your faith in him and then obeying him to earn more merit, by, by keeping good standing with him. You are saved, you are forgiven by God because you are united with Jesus. And he's done the work for you on the cross. And so when Paul hears this, he is like my mom running towards to grab that knife. Like he's saying, no, like you cannot toy around with this. It's dangerous. This will lead to death for you. This will lead to destruction for you. The second heading I would say of why I think Paul wrote this, and you see this uh, in verse 6, is not just that the gospel was being distorted, but more important is that God was being deserted. Look, I, I want you to look at verse 6. Like if you have it open, I really want you to see, because it's important how he phrases what he says. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting, and then what does he say? He says, him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He doesn't phrase it there. He doesn't say, I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting the gospel. Although they are. They're, they're, they're turning to some different gospel. He turns right around and says, but he says what astonishes him, what perplexes him, what bothers him, is they're deserting God. That this is not just some little trivial shift of theology or of doctrine for them. That they're just, oh man, look, we're still okay with God, but we just have some different beliefs now. He's saying, if you walk away from this gospel, if you walk away from holding on to faith in Christ alone for your forgiveness, you're not just walking away from some teaching. You are walking away from God. You are deserting Him. Like, and He wants them. There are some people in today's day and age who say that, Doctrines don't really matter all that much. That theology doesn't really matter that much. As long as we just have a regard for Jesus, we have kind of respect for him, we have a respect for the Bible, we're all good. Like we all, we're all going to be okay with God because Christ covers up for our wrong beliefs. But Paul does not hold to that. Like Paul says if you're turning from this gospel, you are turning from God. You are deserting from you, you should have no confidence that you are received by God, that you are okay with Him, that you're viewed as righteous by Him, if you are believing this nonsense that these false teachers are telling you. That you need Jesus plus something else. I don't care how high your regard is for Jesus, if you think, I need Jesus plus anything else, you are wrong. And you are deserting God. Like, God has told us. This was not... Paul made this up. This is not me making this up. This is not Pastor Larry who's made this up the last few decades as he's preached this gospel to our church. God gave us this gospel. He said, this is the way to be right with me. This is the way to approach me. This is the way to be received into my people is through faith in my son, Jesus. 
who died for you and was raised for you. It is not Jesus plus anything you can do. I thank God for your testimony. I don't know where you are in the room, but the things that you said in that video were so true. And I would encourage you guys to watch that again when we share those things on social media this week. But we are not saved by any work of ourselves. It is a gift of God to us through the work of Christ. And we must never turn to a different gospel because if we go contrary to the way God has told us to approach him, then we are not approaching God. We are not received by him if we come to him through any other means. My children are are part of a program here on Wednesday nights that if you have uh, children, I would very much encourage you to be part of. We call it Lost and Found. And slowly they learn uh, questions and answers from something called the New City Catechism. Uh, It's a, a series of questions and answers to try to teach kids about basics of scripture, basics of theology, and the question they literally learned last week, and the answer I wanted to put up on the screen for you uh, was this, because it just resonated in my heart. The question and answer that, that they learned was this, was what is faith in Jesus Christ? That's what the person would ask him, and the kids as they learned this would answer, receiving and resting on him alone for salvation, Then I love that they tacked this on the They say, as he is offered to us in the gospel. That faith in Jesus Christ is first saying, I'm resting my soul upon him and what he's done. And then when we say that as he's offered to us in the gospel, that means we approach him on the terms God has given to us. That we don't say, yes, Christ died for me, but I need to do these other things to get righteous before God. I need to do these other things to fill in the work of Christ. I come to him as he's offered to me in the gospel. Jesus is offered to us. His work is offered to us as the means by which we can have full, complete, eternal pardon of our sins and be given righteousness by God. And we must come to him as he is offered to us. We must receive him as he is offered to us. And Paul wants these Galatians to realize what's at stake. It's, normally, if you read other letters that Paul wrote, I mean, you could do this sometime if you want to look at some of the other letters he wrote. Around where verse 6 is in this letter... Where, where he launches into this, I'm astonished you're quickly deserting the gospel, deserting God and turning to a different gospel. That's normally in his letters where he says some really nice stuff. Like, I thank God in every prayer of mine for you that he's at work in this way amongst you. I thank God for such and such and such and such, the graces of, of him in your life. He does none of that at the start of this letter. He says a quick grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then right where he normally would give these niceties and these thankfulness, express thankfulness in his heart, he cuts right at it. He says, I am astonished that you're quickly deserting God and that you're turning to a different gospel. He wanted them to know how serious this was. He wanted them to hear in his own voice as he could in that day and age, to hear his own voice telling them, understand the danger you're in. As you're listening to these people, do not listen to them. Don't buy into what they are saying. So he wrote this letter, and we'll see this unfold in more detail. He wrote this letter to them because the gospel was being distorted and because God was being deserted. So I wanted to share for a few minutes why why we chose to go through Galatians uh, at this time and why we believe, as every book of Scripture is profitable for us, why we think this one would be particularly helpful at this time in our church. So I want to give you three quick reasons why we chose the book of Galatians. Uh, The first one would be 
very simply, is that the gospel can still be distorted today. The gospel is still being distorted today. There is not a single one of us in this room, including on this stage right now, who is uh, exempt from feeling temptation to walk away from the faith, to walk away from God, to believe subtly some differences than what the true gospel is that God has revealed to us. We all, we are, we sing a song sometimes where we say, prone to wander, Lord, I fear, prone to leave the God I love. By his grace, we don't do that. We don't leave him. We don't desert him, but we have a propensity or temptation towards it, just like the Galatians did. These ancient people's problems are still our problems today. Even as born-again believers, we can hear false teaching that seems kind of right to us, and we can buy into it. We can start to believe it and, and drink it down. But nobody is beyond the temptation to walk away from God, to walk away, to turn to a different gospel. It can still be distorted. And I would say this, a distorted gospel is far more dangerous than a dismantled gospel. It is one thing if people come to you and they're just overtly anti-Christ. They say, you are an idiot. Like, what, why would you believe this stuff? Why would you put your hope in some carpenter a couple thousand years ago who you think died and was raised from the dead and is in heaven right now? And they just, they look at you like a fool they think you are. And, and they come at you that way. That is obvious to us to be on guard and to approach that person in a certain way. But it is when people come to us with a, a distorted gospel, not one that they've just tried to tear down, but one that they've tried to add a little bit or skew a little bit or tack on some things to it. That is far more dangerous to us because it can seem right. It can seem like, man, this person loves Jesus as best as I can tell. This person, this pastor has a Bible open when they talk. They read the scriptures. They, they, they have a high regard for God. And we can think because of that that we should listen to them and everything that they say. But the teachers that were coming to Galatia, I think, were coming with open Bibles. Like we're going to see as he, he corrects their wrong doctrine. They were coming with open Bibles. They were coming with some regard for Jesus. And Paul is saying, let them be accursed. Like that... We ought to be on guard, not in a paranoid way, but to know, and just because someone claims the name of Jesus, just because someone has regard for the Bible, does not mean everything they say is right, and that everything they say is okay. We must come to the scriptures themselves where God's revealed himself to us and see, what does he say? And if what this person tells me is different from what God says, let them be accursed. Like, do not listen to them. Don't buy into what they are saying trying to think of an illustration of this. I, I, I hope nobody has to deal with these things, but I was thinking of when people try to either like lace shrink or put poison in food. Part of the way that they can do that is that it's very, it's hidden to you. It's invisible to you. They, it looks like the drink you're gonna, that you like. It looks like the food that you would like, but they put something in it that's imperceptible to you that is going to kill you or that's going to poison you. And you think it's the real thing, because just at surface level, it looks good, it looks fine like everything else I've eaten or drank. But there is something inside it that's invisible and imperceptible to you that will destroy you, that will potentially even kill you. That is how this false teaching is of Jesus plus. Because we see the Jesus when they come to us and think, oh, I can just listen to them, I can take in everything they say, but it's that plus that will kill you. 
that you might not be perceiving at first, you might not pay attention to at first, but if they have that there and tell you anything is your ground of being holy before God other than Christ, that will kill you spiritually. It will lead you to destruction. It will lead you to the judgment of God and you might not even realize it. You might just drink it down. You might just eat it down. You might scarf it down. But we need to be attentive to say, is this person, whether it's in this pulpit or on a video that you watch or in conversations you have, is this person telling me the gospel as revealed by God? And if they are, listen to them. Hear them. If they are not, do not give them your time. Don't entertain them. Paul doesn't say, well, just talk to them and try to figure out uh, ways that you can have common ground. He's saying, let them be accursed if they continue to preach this. So we can, the gospel can still be destroyed today. There are teachers all over this world, all over this country, who, who will teach uh, Jesus plus. Who will tell you, who will want you to hear that, yes, Jesus is wonderful, that he died for you, he's been raised for you, he intercedes for you, but you also need to do this to be viewed as righteous unto God. And this, and the, and the this is different in different circles. Sometimes it's things they tell you not to do. Sometimes the things they tell you to wear. Sometimes it's uh, ideas they come up with of certain sacraments you need to take to get more grace from God. Uh, sometimes it's prayers that they think you need to say or gatherings that you need to attend or, or voting for certain things, wearing certain things. I mean, the, the list can go on. But if anybody ever teaches you or implies that for you to be holy before God, you need Jesus plus, they are wrong, and they are teaching the distorted gospel that will lead you away from Jesus. But it's not just that we hear it from others. I think sometimes we unintentionally distort the gospel even in how we think within our own minds, how we even talk to ourselves, how we even think about our own sin and guilt. I think there's a particular temptation in a town like ours that has such a Christian influence, which I praise God for. I love Portland Hill. Right? It is such a wonderful community. But there are so many either believers or people who are think they're quasi-believers and such a sense of Christian morality and virtue that can pervade uh, the, the feel of our town. That I think we can subtly buy into this idea uh, that we uh, need to be Christian law keepers in order to be viewed as righteous by God. But yeah, Jesus died for me that, that he was raised for me, but I've got, like, Jesus got me in the door, so to speak, but I keep myself here. Like, he got me into the room with God, but I better keep my act together. Like, I better stay on his good side. I, I better do these things that, that he's told us in the Bible and stay righteous before him, as if my righteousness is gained by me and kept by me. And you're going to see in this letter, Paul says, you can't do that. From day one into all eternity, if you're viewed by righteous as God, it's because you've been given Jesus' righteousness. It's not because you have kept it. It's not because you've become more and more obedient and more and more meriting of God's uh, approval. It's because Christ died for you. He atoned for your sins, and he lived a righteous life that can get counted to you. And sometimes in our own minds, we start to feel this low-grade guilt shame when we sin as if we have this dread in us that God is frustrated. He's angry in a sense like I am being judged by him. I, I'm being disliked by him. I'm being removed from him because of my sin and Satan would love for us to believe that. 
He would love for us to buy into this idea of Jesus plus. Well, you better keep your righteousness together, friend. He would love for us to do that. But when we feel shame and guilt, we're not to just keep walking down the path of disobedience. Paul's going to press that in his letter. But we are to remember the gospel. Remember that Christ died for these things. That his righteousness is counted to me fully, completely, when I'm united with him by faith. It's not kept by me. It's not preserved by me. It's given by God. We must remember that, not just slip into this Christian law teaching where we teach ourselves the wrong gospel, where we start to distort the gospel ourselves. So the gospel can still be, um, it can still be distorted. And secondly, God can still be deserted. Like Paul wrote this letter to these people and he's saying that they are so quickly deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. And I would say this, the danger of, of deserting God, the temptation to desert God is just as real today as it was in Galatia in 60 AD or whenever they, they wrote it. God can still be, in a sense, deserted if people who think they've been right with him, who on some shallow sense bought into the gospel, start to believe a different gospel and say, this is how I'm made righteous. God can still be deserted today. And I wanted to say, I know it's a super small segment of our church, but to those four of you who were baptized today, I wanted you to know, and I want us to all hear this, the word that he says quickly in verse six. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Walking away from Christ is not just something that happens to old folks who have gotten frustrated with God or who have had hardness or, of experience and now they're angry at him and they're distanced from him. This can happen quickly. When people or you yourself start to, to hear and think and believe or people tell you that you need Jesus plus, then Satan tempts you to think, man, okay, I, I, I thought I'd been forgiven by God, but I have this sin that still remains. I need to keep my righteousness. I got to get my act together. And you start to believe that, that you need Jesus plus. You're starting or you're at least starting to look at the path these Galatians are going down. And I want you to hear Paul. I want you to hear me as one of your pastors, as a fellow Christian say, don't do that. Or don't walk down that path. Don't even look at that path. Like, look to Christ. He has died for you and been raised for you and is interceding for you. He has done everything necessary for your salvation and that is as true today as it will be tomorrow as it will be next year as it will be whenever he returns or when he's introduced again we must not desert him we must come to him and stay with him on the terms he has given to us and that is by jesus alone and faith in him so the gospel can still be distorted god can still be deserted and the last thing i would say is this is that jesus can still deliver that's part of why we want to go through the book of Galatians is that, that this year we'd like in different measures as we go through 2020 to, to keep the, the realm we talked about last month of soul winning, of evangelism, of proclaiming the good news of Christ before us as a responsibility we have and an opportunity we have to proclaim this good news. Not just to be people who've heard it and been changed by it, who've been saved by it, but people who speak it. People who tell others who are enslaved in sin about it. And if we are going to be people who faithfully tell people about Christ, we need to know what the gospel is and what it isn't. We don't want to become like these 
teachers who come into Galatia, and we think we're doing people a service. We think we're telling them about Christ. We think we're telling them the way that they can have forgiveness and hope, but we're actually even maybe unintentionally adding to it and communicating a false gospel to people that we're talking to that you need Jesus plus something else. So we want to make sure that we, as we go through Galatians, that we know the gospel right that there's this good news that we have a Savior who's come to live among us and to die for us and to be buried and to be raised for us and who's in heaven interceding for us and someday will return for us and that his work is what brings salvation. That the way we are saved is by faith, by being united with him by faith and in a sense writing his coattails, letting his reward be given to us, letting our judgment be absorbed by him as it was on the cross. We must tell people that gospel the gospel, not give them a gospel that kind of sounds Christian-y, but tell them the good news of Christ, who was crucified and who was raised from the dead. And we need to have confidence that as we say that, as we preach the same gospel that we have heard, the same gospel Paul gave, that, that Jesus gave to him, as we need to have confidence as we preach that, that Jesus can still deliver people. That, that he can change people. Did you see that in verse 4? In verse 3, he has said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he describes Jesus Christ in verse 4. And he says, Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That is saying such good news that Jesus can deliver us. We don't deliver ourselves. We don't help him in the process. He can deliver us. He has delivered many of us in this room. He's forgiven us. He's made us new. He's given us the spirit. And he can do that same work in anyone. And we need to tell this gospel with confidence that as I proclaim it, he can deliver people from this. He, he can forgive them. He can give them new hearts. He can change them from the inside out. He can give them full, complete, free pardon of their sins forever. I want to say to any who are in this room today who... Either you have just dismantled the gospel in your mind long ago, you thought it's nonsense, you thought it's foolishness, you thought it's dumb, whether you're in that boat and you just dismantled it, or whether you're in this room and you have subtly, maybe even didn't realize it, you've believed a distorted gospel through your life during weeks and days where you think, I become righteous by Jesus plus something else. I want to call to all of you, whether you've rejected him long ago and made it patently obvious to everybody, or whether you just believe this subtle nonsense of Jesus plus. I want to tell you that God has given you terms by which you can approach him, in which he will receive you, in which he will deliver you, and you're simply just by putting your faith and your trust in him. If you have any hope of being forgiven by him, received by him, being viewed as righteous by him, it is by the work of Christ. And I would call upon you today to put your faith in to call out to him, asking for his forgiveness, and he will deliver you. Whether you've thought you've been okay with him, but you've really been believing a lie, or whether you've rejected him long ago, if you come to him in faith today, God the Father will receive you and make you new forever. And when my sister had that knife on my back, uh, I, I don't think, I certainly did not realize the danger that I was my sister, I'm about positive, unless she was just some super intellectual little three-year-old, she did not know the danger that I was in. 
I think in Galatia, the people in these churches, they didn't know the danger that they were in. They were hearing Jesus plus, and they just thought, the plus is all right. Like, God told us who we are. Let's do this. But they were in danger and didn't even know it. I don't even think the teachers knew it. That the danger that they were putting these people in as they were saying, Jesus plus. And thank God, Paul, when he hears about it, he's like my mom, who, who comes in that room and he sees the danger. Like, no, no, no. Do not believe Jesus plus. Remove that plus. Keep removing it over and over again. Look to Jesus. Thank God we have recorded in scriptures now for us the Apostle Paul by the Spirit telling us that and seeing the danger that we're in when we start to believe Jesus plus. And we can hear God calling us back to the gospel that we are made righteous by the work of Jesus and can never be broken.